Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you just for the time we've already had this morning to sing from your word, to remind ourselves of who you are, your greatness, your goodness, to remind ourselves of the miracle that Jesus came to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to suffer a horrific death for our sins and rise again in victory so that we would walk in newness of life. And so we celebrate with great joy because of our salvation. Father, this morning, open our eyes, open our hearts to your word. May your spirit be moving within us, allowing us to see what we need to see. And our desire is to give you glory and to be more like you in all we say and all we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so work, (laughs) jobs, employment, Today in our passage, we're seeing Paul's instruction to slaves and masters. And he's instructing both of them to submit to Christ, giving him glory in attitude and in ethic in regards to fulfilling their earthly duties. And as we started this, and I knew we were going to be here early last week, I jumped onto Facebook and I asked a simple question. What is the worst job you ever had and why would you classify it as the worst I have to admit, I had some fun reading the responses. Uh, And I was thankful for the grace of God, which allowed me to avoid some of the described jobs. A friend submitted one job that one of his students had, and this one actually, it it just, like, it hurt deep within. His job was to take, uh, at the Humane Society, to take the dogs out for their final walk in the yard. I know, I'm sorry, I hated to, you know, like, wow, what a downer, we just had all this joy. And he did that. But, you know, he had to make sure that they were ready for the last time they were petted and such. And then I, now I've, I've, you know about Posey, my dog. In the last two years, I've become a dog nut. And, uh, and then I was like, oh, I, I mean, I couldn't do that job. And, and I couldn't do it. I don't care how much you pay me. I had another friend who, uh, who worked as a, an assistant in the mortuary, assisting in the cold room and helping with pickups. Wow. Okay, I suppose that's a calling, or most of the time I think, well, I get paid to do that. Janet worked in a non-air-conditioned dry cleaning room where it would be unbearably hot with stinky clothes and harsh chemicals that would melt her contacts. She says they went through, they went through, uh, she went through contacts quicker than you should. Colton didn't enjoy his time as a dishwasher, Colton Menez, with no breaks during an eight-hour shift. 
Derek Cara didn't enjoy being a CNA and asked me to ask Kelsey, who's studying to be an RN, why he wouldn't like the job. A friend of mine had to clean his stepfather's sewage tank on the trailer by hand with buckets. My junior high PE teacher told me that he didn't like being a junior high PE teacher. He was joking. Selling yellow page ads. Now, there was probably a time that that was lucrative, because remember how thick it used to be? The yellow pages, hey, they're done. If you're a business owner and you're in the yellow pages, good for you. No one reads them anymore. <laughs> it's called Google. So, and like even when ours comes, the little thin book now, we take it and it goes, I mean, it goes 100% right to the recycle bin. It doesn't even come in the house anymore. But you have to be used to being said, being told no. Law enforcement. I've said this before, we need to be praying for our public servants. It's difficult, underappreciated, and under attack in many areas right now. Poor Bebo in the back, he had to suffer at a pizza place where he snacked on bacon all day. (laughs) Underpaid babysitters. Parents, when you decide what to pay a sitter, keep in mind a realistic picture of who your children really are. (laughs) If needed, hazard pay is appropriate. We had drywall installation, roofing, line cooks, retail. There are also good jobs that pay well, where you're underappreciated and feel like a piece of office equipment, and it makes for difficult employment. And a few people mentioned this, and this is important too. No job is as difficult as the times when you may be unemployed and you don't want to be. Such stress. I've experienced underemployment. It's stressful and very, very difficult. We need to support our brothers and sisters who find themselves in those situations. But when we stop and when we we reflect, this is important for us to realize that work is a gift of God. Work is good. And it is a gift from God. And people say, what? How can you say work is good? Look, if you look back at creation, just in, in a little bit of background, in the garden, God gave Adam and Eve work. He gave them jobs to do. Sin had not yet entered the world, and yet he said, do some work for me. Take care of the garden. Name the animals. You see, the garden was not just this five-star, five-star Shangri-La resort. It was a place where they were to work. And God said, it was good. Genesis 2.15. The Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And then this is interesting too. When God created Eve, he said this. Man needs a... Helper. Well, help with what? And have you ever tried to lift something? You can't do it yourself? Help! That's what we cry out. You see, God created Eve to be a helper. Help means help. And so pre-sin, pre-fall, God created a helper for the tasks that they were called to do. You see, work is good and work is a gift. 
Work became a pain when sin entered the world. That's when the garden fought back. And actually, they were kicked out of the garden, but that's when the earth started to fight back with, with weeds and thistles and thorns. Here's the other thing, too, and this is for free. I believe we will have work in heaven. We will work in heaven. I think so many people think that heaven, they get this, if you know, I say picture heaven, so many people want to think of the cartoons on the cloud with a harp, sitting around. I remember as a kid, like, what do you mean we're going to be singing for all eternity? Doesn't sound real good to me. So I'm just being honest. I mean, I love singing. Hey, we could have gone more today. That'd be fine. But forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Take a breath. And ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You're like, whoa, that's a really, really long time. And that's a lot of singing. I don't believe heaven will be that way. I believe if we look at the garden in the same picture, it'll even be better though because it won't be a presence where God came and come, comes and goes. We will be with our Savior. We will be with God. But we will be working. We have an eternal God who knows all. Do you not think an eternal God is worth eternal work getting to know him and giving him glory? But we'll be energized and joyful in our work. This is what we have to look forward to. Do not get this picture that work or that heaven is a boring church service. It's not. It's going to be a magnificent place where all will give glory to God. And we have an eternal dwelling with eternal discovery about our eternal God. But now here on earth, work is, is, uh, is difficult. But regardless of that difficulty, we need to be grateful and we need to be thankful for even jobs that are less than perfect. I think if you were to ask most people this question, why do you work? What do you think the number one family feud answer would be? I'm going to say the money. I work to get paid. When Kelsey was little, she said this to Karen. Daddy's going to work to pay for the money. <laughs> she was close. You have to pay for the money. We were just cracked up at that. But you know what? Something greater than money should motivate us in our jobs. And our text today tells us this, that our love and our devotion to Jesus Christ alters and changes our attitudes and our views of work. Christians need to see Jesus Christ as the ultimate boss. Jesus is Lord. He is master. Jesus is king. We work first for him. So whatever we do as Christians, it is work done under Christ. And whatever we do, we do it as Christ's servants for his glory. In these past weeks, we've studied Paul's Paul's instruction in the household. We saw wives, husbands, children, parents. And today we see this. Masters and slaves, or slaves and masters. Slaves come first. And so I think some of you right now are saying, well, Ron, you're talking about employment, you're talking about work, but it does not say employees and employers. It says slaves and masters. We can't get past that. We have to take the text and... and decipher what was Paul meaning when he said this. It is talking about slavery. Well, what's up with that? 
Now, as we go through our text, you will see how this applies to us in our vocations, but we can't avoid the context. Paul is addressing slaves and masters, and so I want to take today, and I didn't think I did, I thought I'd just take it briefly, but I want to take the whole Sunday and talk about slavery. It's a heavy subject. But what we need to know first is some background of the time of Rome. First, what was happening in this time period was not like the abhorrent and evil slavery that we see in American history. Now, I'm not saying it was good either, so don't hear me wrong. Let's, we're going to tackle the text. But this is not, when we think slavery, we think of the evil that our nation had. And by the way, don't ever call it anything less than sinful evil. Because that's what it is. The slavery in Roman society was massive. And it was complex. But unlike the slavery in our country's history, it was not racial and it was not lifelong. There are, of course, some similarities, similarities, but it was also quite, quite different. Did you know in the Roman Empire, it is estimated that there were somewhere around 60 million slaves? 60 million. And if you take that in proportion to the population of Ephesus, where this letter was being written, it would mean that one-third of the population of Ephesus were slaves. One-third. Go to your row. One, two, three. Slave. Free, free, slave. Free, free, slave. It was so common that really slavery was seldom ever discussed in the writings that you could read in the history of this time. It was seldom ever even discussed if it was right or wrong. It just was. It is what happened in this culture. Here's what I read in a commentary this week regarding the nature of slavery in, in the time of the Romans. They did, not do, they did not merely do menial work. They did nearly all the work including oversight and management of most professions. Some slaves were more educated than their owners. They could own property, they could own other slaves, and they were allowed to save money to buy freedom. That's a difference. No slave class existed, for slaves were present in all but the highest of economic and social strata. Slavery was everywhere. Many slaves gained their freedom by the age of 30. It was quite common. A slave who purchased freedom also gained citizenship. Well, now, how did one become a slave? There were various ways. Birth, you could be sold by your parents. Captivity in war, owing debts. Many volunteered into slavery to better their condition. Again, slavery in America was mainly racial and executed by self-righteous people who were convincing themselves that it was okay, but in Roman times, the life of a slave and how they lived, it depended fully on their masters. Yes, it could be cruel and it could be harsh, and some had it better than others, depending on the owner. So when Paul comes here and we see in our letter that he's addressing slaves and masters, this is life-altering. You can see a master in the congregation going, oh, he's talking to me, a slave going, hey, he's talking to me. What's happening here? What is Paul going to say? It's amazing to me that this letter is written 
And when it's being read by the elders to the church, both are present in the congregation. And something else I want to hit today and make extremely clear, and we'll go through this. And this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time. Does the Bible endorse slavery? Does the Bible say slavery is okay? Any of you ever have a discussion as you're sharing your faith and people will throw that out? Hey, the Bible has slavery. I will answer the question. Does the Bible endorse slavery? No. How do we know this? We are called to love our neighbor. Luke 10, 27. Taking a people against their will is evil, it's sinful, and it's in complete opposition to the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Second, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Matthew seven twelve. Would you like to be ripped from your home, taken to a faraway land against your will to be abused by others? It's a no-brainer. No. Third, neither slavery or slave-owning is viewed positively in the Scriptures. God freed Israel from horrible slavery in Egypt, didn't he? Then you read in Exodus 21 that God gave laws to Israel specifically saying, do not treat others like they had been treated in Egypt. He says, do not do this. Exodus 21, 16, anyone who steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Can't be any clearer. And then finally, fifth, scripture and Paul's writings undermine slavery. Now, some people go to this text and say, why isn't Paul preaching abolition? We're going to look at it, and we will see that he is taking this, and he's having a radical, he's giving a radical truth and a radical instruction that is so counterculture to this time in Rome. How do we know this? Romans 5.1. You guys remember when we were there? Therefore be imitators of God. He just wrote that a few verses back. Well, who is God? What are we to imitate? Well, I know what the Psalms tell us. God is the father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God is a God of justice and compassion. God stands against oppressors and cares for the weak and vulnerable. That is not compatible with slavery. Paul called kidnapping and trafficking sin. He called it evil. In 1 Timothy 1.10, if you want to turn there, starting at verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. So what does the law do? The law exposes the wickedness of our heart. When we see God's perfect law, we see our sinfulness. We see that we are law breakers, not law keepers. So we must run to Christ. But it says this, not just for, not for the just, but for the laws and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, 
for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. Look at this. Enslavers. Paul specifically says enslavers. Liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Eighth commandment, do not steal. You see the word Paul uses here for enslaver, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's a unique word. And what he's saying, he's using that word to saying, look, it is a sinful act to steal a human. Don't ever, ever listen to one who says slavery is condoned and accepted in the Bible. It is not. Now, in our passage, what is Paul saying? He's saying and telling one how is to act and behave within a present social existence. This was the present social existence that they lived in, but he is not endorsing it or condoning it. We saw Paul forbids the act of slavery to the church in 1 Timothy. Do not own. It says in the Old Testament, and Paul is saying, look, the list of those who are sinful, impure, enslavers. Paul teaches equality. The scriptures teach equality of all people. Turn to Galatians 3. I love these passages. All right, I am making an appointment for the eye doctor this week. <laughs> the time of denial is over. There we go, I can see it now. <sighs> that was a sigh of deep groaning <laughs> right there. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many, as you, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see how awesome that is? We're one. There's no class. In Galatia, in Ephesians, in Ephesus, Paul reads this, and the slave and the master are in the same congregation, and he's saying, you are one. You are one in Christ. You are both heirs. You're both part of the promise. You're my people. Colossians 3. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked 
when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We are in Christ. That is the church. In Philemon, Paul urged Philemon to welcome back Onesimus, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. Paul urged Corinthian believers to obtain their freedom if possible in 1 Corinthians 7, 21. And so in saying this, Paul was always sharing his thoughts on slavery. Paul was not a fan of slavery. We should never be on the side of oppression and slavery. We should not excuse the sinful history of the United States. And as we look at our text, Paul is focused on spreading the gospel in a society that approved of slavery. Paul was about Christ. Paul was about the gospel going forth. And in the society, slavery happened. And Paul wanted to spread the gospel. More than one commentary that I read has stated that these verses are truly quite subversive to the context of the Roman culture. We're going to hit stuff on employment, unemployment in our work a little bit more in the coming week. But Paul's telling both master and slave something radical. Treat each other as they would Christ. Treat each other as they would Christ. I would say this, we are free people, but the instruction stays the same. Treat each other as we would treat our Savior and our King. Think how radical this is, really. Masters, treat your slaves the same way. Let's look back at our text. Verse that says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Jump down to verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. Treat your slaves the same way. Treat your slaves with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart as to Christ. This verse alone, it abolishes slavery. It crushes it. The case is closed. Treat others as you would treat our Lord and Savior. You see how radical this is? Treat your slaves as you would treat our Lord and Savior? This goes past the golden rule of do unto others as you would have others do unto you. This is do unto others as you would do to your Savior. Do unto others as you would treat Jesus Christ as if he was in the room, which by the way, he is. So we treat one another with love, respect, dignity. We are a family. And this is what Paul's been teaching. Look at the grace of God. 
Look who you are. Look how you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Look who at one time, you who were Gentiles, were excluded from the life of God. You're now here. And you're part. And look how we were once excluded from God. And now he lives within us as a temple. We are the temple of God. The church. Do you realize how radical and awesome the church is? It's the bride of Christ. And we come together whether slave or free, male, female, we're one in Christ. There is no class. There's no hierarchy. No one is better than the other. Sinners saved by grace, amen? Coming in to worship our Savior. All of us, we are under the Lordship of Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is the boss. We're under Christ, and this changes how we live. This changes everything. I think so many times I'm a Christian. Well, good. But we're under the lordship of Christ. Do you realize what that means? It means you are different, it means He comes first. Lincoln Duncan said this on this text. This text, this is the recognition that both master and slave in Christ have a common Lord. And that truth, that reality, that doctrine eventually undermines slavery. You know, slavery started to go away as the church grew. I felt led to just spend some extra time on this and, and I knew it was going to mess up the whole, the whole context of what I wanted to do. I want to end here for the sake of time. But it's clear the writers of Scripture under the power of the Holy Spirit did not endorse slavery. They undermine it. They undermine it by saying we're one in Christ. That we're to treat one another as we would treat our Lord and Savior. And the influence and the growth of the gospel aided in slavery dying out. Paul is calling all of us, Paul is calling the church to unity in Christ. And within the existing structure of this, of this society, of the Roman society, Paul is giving instruction. That next week we're going to see how it, imply, how it applies to our earthly occupations. Because I don't think you could miss that either. I think it absolutely moves into how we are to work. Let's just get a hint again as we read our text. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Is it really that far of a jump to say employees? Obey your boss. With fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. I'll give you a hint. When you go to work tomorrow, you're first and foremost a servant of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart. Here's the other thing. Your job, even if you hate it, tomorrow morning, it's the will of God. And some of you go, oh, that's hard. It's hard to hear. By the way, it doesn't say you can never look for another job. 
It doesn't say you can't improve your circumstances. Rendering service with goodwill and working to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. We're in the Christmas season. As I was studying, as I was reading this passage, looking at it, I was thinking back to a, a Christmas hymn, uh, O Holy Night. And one time on Facebook, I had a friend, uh, well, let me read it first and then I'll tell you. Here's the, here's the verse I was thinking of. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. With all our hearts we praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Forever we will praise him. His power and his glory evermore proclaim. He went on to say that Christ didn't come to abolish slavery. He posted that on Facebook. I disagree. I disagree. Now, did he first, what did Christ first and foremost come to do? To save us from our sins, right? But Christ did come. And he asks us as his people, and he wants governments to be ones who execute proper justice. If Christ didn't come and we're left in our sins, what would this world be like? Where would this world be without a Christian brother like Wilberforce speaking out in England? You see, we are saved and no, Christ did not come for political purpose. In fact, in John 6, it says that the Israelites wanted to make him king and overthrow the Romans. And when he said, no, I'm not here to do that, they got really upset. But I think we know, and I think as we look at our text, that we're all one in Christ. And that changes everything. And so when we see this, one, I read it two ways. My chains are gone. I am no longer a slave to sin. You can't look at the gospel and not see that we were once in prison and we are now free. So would not application be that we now show that to the world but we do not enslave people? Look, the church has a history in America of being on the wrong side of some things. You can't deny it but that does not need to be us. And I, you know, some people say, should we repent of the, for the sins of our, of our fathers? We can't. God deals with us individually. But I will tell you this, we can start now by the grace of God, recognizing what the scriptures teach. And we live it no matter what the cost. We obey no matter what. Because Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King. So be on the right side 
of what the scriptures say, not what population says, not what's popular, not what the world says. I stand alone on the word of God, no matter what, because Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are set free in Christ. Lord, my prayer today is that we see the gospel so clear, that we see what you have done for us. Father, I thank you, even though things are definitely not perfect, and there's still much growth in our sanctification as people, as churches, as a country, as to how we treat one another. Oh, but Father, may we in this building, in your church, Father, do a work within us where we truly, truly recognize your lordship, your kingship, and the commands that you have given us in your word to love one another, to treat others as we would treat you. Father, in this text, we're not removed that we need to be people filled by your spirit. Father, we would ask that we be a people who keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Allow him to work within us. Father, we need your help. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. But Father, may we be a people who love you and love others properly. May the world look at us and just say, we are different. But Father, may we not be different in any way other than the most important way that matters. We love Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. And we follow your word. Thank you for being a great and mighty God who has freed us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.